0: Hey folks, it's your pal Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com and Twitter.com slash SlyFlourish here with another episode of Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. This is a weekly show shot 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday in which I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I I am preparing for an Eberron homebrew campaign called Eberron the Second Morning. This show is brought to you by the patrons of SlyFlourish at Patreon.com slash SlyFlourish. Uh, they help support all of the bandwidth and all of the extra costs that go into making shows like this and into keeping the website up and the newsletter and everything else that goes on in the Sly Flourish Empire. If you want to help support Sly Flourish, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Sly Flourish. Uh, so let's see. Yesterday I did a video, you can see it on YouTube, uh, where I went over chapter one of Descent into Avernus. Uh, so that was a fun thing to do, or chapter two of Descent into Avernus. Uh, I finished chapter two and they did a video about that. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about my Eberron game. So in uh, last week's session, I, I I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, in the week previous, the characters were fighting their villain, Leto Skull, who is an Oni that was attempting to bring a very big, an enormous, like, three-ton Eberron shard to the Mournland. Uh They crashed into his airship, they fought a whole ton of his lackeys. Uh, they faced off against him, and they uh, ended up uh, blowing out the bottom of the ship and sending the Eberon crystal down, crashing to the ground below. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to kind of use that as a big smash cut in the story and sort of start a whole new chapter of the campaign uh, with a fresh start. And by a fresh start, I mean them waking up, bleeding and crushed against the mountainside below, having been thrown and blown off from the, uh, the night sky, the airship, which is now no more, uh, as the Eberon Shard exploded and took, the, uh, took the, the airship out. So they started off uh, on a uh, snowy cliffside, looking down upon a huge crater, uh, where the Eberron Shard had crashed and exploded. Uh, they then were attacked by a bunch of weird, war-forged winter wolves uh, that had been hunting up there. And when they were just about done fighting the winter wolves, uh, an enormous war-forged uh, jug- juggernaut? Titan? I think it's a Titan. A war-forged Titan Yeti attacked them. Uh, they fought the Yeti. They actually didn't have too hard a time, mostly because one of the characters has a sword that can blind, uh, that can blind people. And so he blinded it and kept it at disadvantage most of the time. And um, so they defeated it, and then they met another Warforged uh, named Longspear, who was a veteran of the last war and had been hanging out with the other Warforged juggernaut or the Warforged Titan, uh, to kind of, not exactly to protect the Titan, but to keep him out of trouble and to help protect other people from the Titan, which he didn't do a particularly good job on. So the idea was that Longspear, who is a, a, a humanoid Warforged uh, and has full cognitive ability, had kind of, during the war, had been partnered up with a bunch of, like, Warforged, uh, machine you know warforged that didn't quite have the same cognitive capabilities that a warforged humanoid did during the war and after the war they were kind of discarded and he's like well this warforged titan is just going to kill people if we leave him so why don't and the warforged titan would sort of follow him so he took him up into the mountains and said he will be safe up here and, and maybe he'll find peace once again and he was always tormented like the warforged juggernaut never never found peace and so, when the character's killed, the juggernaut um long spear was like I would mourn for my my friend, but he finally found a piece that he never was able to find um and i I guess it was inevitable uh anyway so he it was kind of a sad story, but it's fun you know it was kind of a neat story about the, the, the last war and the veterans of the last war. And here's this, you know, fur covered war forge with a big long spear who hangs out hunting in the, you know, hunting in the, in the woods and happens to be sitting on a bunch of, uh, caves, a bunch of ancient Dakani ruined caves, uh, right along. And so they're trying to figure out like, well, where the hell are we? Like we blew up. We don't even know where we are. And they found their location. Uh, let me pull it up on a map. Hello, mom. Mom is here. um, so they found themselves on the seawall mountains and they couldn't exactly figure out, they figured out that they are South of Margol pass. Um, and so they're in the territory of Dargoon and they're, so they're like, huh. So they spent a fair bit of time, like looking at the map and figure out like, well, where do we want to go? And they, they know that Leto skull had been heading towards Eston. Uh, on the edge of the Mornland. And so they kind of put their name around Aral Dusk. They said, We want to kind of head to Aral Dusk. And they're like, Well, I don't know how long this is, right? So a thousand miles is, is whatever that distance. So how far? It should be nice if there maybe there's a map somewhere that can tell you like a distance between places. But it looks pretty far, right? Um, you know, from Aral Dusk to, you know, from there to Aral Dusk is probably a, you know, closing in on a thousand miles um which is like i don't know 100 days of travel i forget what what's the travel distance normal travel distance in D. somewhere i'm sure that is uh uh 24 miles a day travel i'm sure you're right but i just want to know where, where i can find it Travel, uh, Rise in the Last War, no, 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 no. no. Dungeon Master's got planar travel, no, no. Travel pays, Ghost of Saltmarsh, no. I'm looking for just the stuff. I wish you could search individual books. I guess you could do core books. Can you do core You can search compendium, I guess. Um, yeah, so 24 miles a day uh, by foot. So it would take them, what is that then? a thousand miles, uh, 250, is that 200? No, it's 25 days. Is that right? 25 times 25. No, that's not right. How many, how many, somebody do some math for me. How long would it take them to travel a thousand miles? Um, 40 days. Yeah. 41 days. Um, so that's a, you know, that's a long time, right? it's a long time for them to go tramping around the, the nation side. Now, it kind of, it might be kind of cool uh because there's a lot to see between, you know, you get to see some Dargoon, you get to see some um I believe this is uh Zalargo territory. Uh you know, so yeah, they're they're down here, they're down see where it says it's a Zalargo, they're kind of around there. So they would see some Dargoon, they'd see some Zalargo. Uh, I can't tell what region I guess that's considered mornland there's this this large region that doesn't have a name for it uh but below Thrain uh which i I presume is the mornland, and I guess like that big that big gray patch is where um uh the grid is where the actual destruction is concerned um but I don't know like you know is that you know I can't tell is that Thrain? So they they get to travel through a lot of like regions, right? And that might be kind of interesting because they sort of get the culture of these different regions as they're traveling through. Um, is that New Sire? I know New Sire is there. Uh, I'm lost. I Zoomed and now I'm lost. Yeah, so New Sire is right in the edge of Breland, right? But and so they're right there, but I don't they don't I don't think they call that region New Sire. Um so I don't know what it is. Um, you know, New Sire, I thought was like a a city. So I'm not sure. Um, but it could be interesting for them to travel. The other option for travel is they could go down into, uh, Kyber below and try to make their way through Kyber. And that can be an option too. Um, and, uh, I'm not sure I I, you know so the hard part is I kind of I really wish I had asked them to make a choice about what direction they were going to go and how they were going to do it so that I could kind of prepare for that but I didn't and now we're still kind of down there so I might I might either have to prepare a couple different things a couple different options like what happens if they go down and through Kyber and what happens if they take overland Um, you know or I'll have to railroad them down one of those paths depending if I think one of those paths is a lot cooler. Um, yeah. Face the long dark of Moria. Exactly. So both of those could be potentially, uh, interesting. Um, so let's start our prep. Uh, so, uh, over on the left, uh, we have, as we do always my notion notebook for keeping track of my campaign, uh, if you want to have a copy of your own cop- version of this Notion campaign, you can do so by uh, starting up a uh, your own Notion notebook and using the URL, which I just pasted in the Twitch chat, and it's also in the links down below in the YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. So this is Notion. So uh, if somebody would do the honor over the next 40 minutes or so of every time somebody asks me what tool I'm using to remind them that I'm using Notion. Uh, please do so because uh throughout a lot of people doing are doing it d d designers uh designer's pod says uh i 've started using notion because of your video it 's so helpful yeah you know i it 's so i mean I it 's not so good that i 'm scared, but I worry about kind of pushing any one particular tool right like i don 't I think you can do a lot with a lot of different tools. I found it to be pretty useful. I find it to be v- relatively transparent to use. There's definitely uh some some bits that I don't like. Uh I don't like that it does not have an offline mode. It does have an export mode, but the export mode isn't great. And uh and and not having an offline mode is a pretty big deal. So like um that's one thing that like OneNote which is sort of a I would consider to be a a parallel to this. Um that, you know, um, probably OneNote is more popular and OneNote has an offline mode, which I think is a big deal. But you can't export from OneNote, so you're stuck with OneNote forever. So it's, you know, hard to deal with. But since my games are all online anyway, it has not been a problem for me to have my my notes online. But I do worry about that. Uh, however, boy, it's really nice. So um, we are going to duplicate uh, my session planning template and drag it to the top. And we open that, and we change the name of this thing to 9 August 2020, Sunday Eberon. All right. So that is our first step. Uh, next, we are going to review our characters. So let's take a look at who we've got. This is the Sunday characters. Um, so uh, our Sunday characters... We have uh, Zarentir Delander. I think the player is out this week, so uh, I, 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 we're, not, we're not going to worry too much about Zarantir this week. Uh, we have Saber. I have an interesting idea about how to incorporate Saber uh, into the adventure. So Saber is a um, shifter monk of the Four Winds uh, and follower of Balanor, the one of the one of the um, what are they called? The good guy, the good guy gods, uh, and. Um, a bounty hunter. Uh Shift is a warforged, one of the first warforged, uh powered by a kyber crystal and uh one of the two warforged that were originally built as a a a joint joint um experiment between Karn- the nation of Carnath and House Kenneth as one of the first um as one of the first uh uh warforged. Shane Husk is a novelist. Uh, he writes, he wrote about the morning. Uh, he's also he's a hobgoblin uh wizard. And um he uh yeah, he's got a bunch of, of best selling schlocky books that he sells, and he's on the adventure to uh write to 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 keep to to write down what happens. Banner is a follower of the becoming god, uh, a war another warforge, veteran of the last war. Um and Arwen Chi Zizu is a uh, dragon marked member. I think she's, is she dragon marked? Um, she is a, um, yeah, yeah. She has a latent house Sifis dragon mark. Uh, and she is the possessor of the double dodecahedron that is the compass to find claw rift, uh, which is in the city of, um, uh, it's in, it's in the glass plateau in the city of Metrol. Kind of a big conclusion of where things are going to go. So those are our characters today. I think I've got five players coming today. So um, there, there we go. Go back to our notes. Characters are reviewed. Uh, you will note that the session notes here follow the outline of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. That's what we do here. So uh, strong start. So where can we start? They are. They, they began. They ended the game at the crater edge. Uh, they just brought on board a member of house tarkanon uh, and in fact, so when I'm doing my notes, I tend to skip around a little bit as I'm thinking, and that's perfectly, I mean, not that you need anyone's permission for anything. Uh, there is a way to make these smaller, right? I thought there was a way to make these smaller. So I have the full width, um, properties card size make them small there we go that fits better so night valley uh night valley is a house tarkanon assassin that they found on the edge of the crater uh and recruited and said hey we'd like you to join um you know why don't you come along with us and you can help figure out where to go and she was the one that said yeah i know that um Lido Skull was headed to Esten, uh, and so that's what got the characters interested in going to Esten because they think Esten might be the next step to get to wherever they're going. So, um, I mean, I started the 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 um uh, I started the. Uh, last adventure with uh, a big battle. I think this time maybe some hobgoblins. I think I think some hobgoblins of um, Dru- uh, what's what's the region called? their maps here. Let me look at my map. Uh, Dargoon, right? So one of the things about their you know Dargoon hobgoblins. Uh so Dargoon Hobgoblin's come to investigate the crash. Uh well, one of the secrets and clues, I was just reading up about um Dargoon. Let's do a little searchy searchy. And uh Dargoon is an interesting uh empire. Um it is uh it is a signatory of the Treaty of Thronehold. Um and it is currently being ruled by uh where is it here is this uh rising last war uh yeah they gave up dargon is uh yeah leshk hawk haruk uh shurat core uh loose rulership, is that a word? It is now. Um and there are bands of um uh bands of bugbears uh roam the uh so where's the there's a thing about I saw a thing about bugbears here uh the margul um So that could be kind of interesting. Um, You look like an NPC with a stat block. Yes. So I think that our strong start is that Dargoon soldiers of uh, uh, Lashk, uh, this this guy. I'm going to be typing that around. Dargoon hobgoblin, goblinoid, goblinoid. Uh, come to investigate the crash. I think that that's kind of a fun. You know, this this could be sort of a fun thing where they're there with long spear. They're at it. They see this group. You know, they're kind of you know they see like a goblin, a goblin scout, right, with his mask on and kind of like standing there, t- tattooed up, right. Um, and, and then like this, you know, group of hobgoblins, maybe they come riding in on horses, right? Um, what would hobgoblins ride? Do hobgoblins ride things? Uh, hobgoblin mounts. Let's take a look at the monster manual sources, source book, monster manual. I don't know if it'll say, I know that like goblins ride wargs, right? Um, Hobgoblins. So probably wargs. Axe beaks. Axe beaks would be pretty awesome. Um long history are training animals, like the they uh like more civilized races, they use oxen and horses to transport goods and weaponry. They communicate with others uh just to keep vicious wolves to guard prisoners. Cavalry use trained wargs as steeds. Look at me looking up at the monster manual. Uh wargs. Let's look at wargs. Yeah, wargs. Um Bugbears riding bears. So yeah, I don't know that I'm going to bring the bugbears in cuz I have an idea for bugbears. Uh so yeah, let's say how many would be probably a dozen, right? Okay, so let's have a little sly flourish lesson. And remember all of my advice Comes with recognition that advice is BS and that you should use whatever works for you in your game. Uh, but sharing, let me, how about a sly flourish sharing of experiences? So, in my experience, um, uh, the, a, a fun way to, to plan out scenes and situations like this isn't to uh, think about like, what's the right balance, right? Like, how many hobgoblins is the right balance for five seventh level characters? Uh, instead you say, what makes sense given the story and the situation and the story in the situation is a bunch of hobgoblins are coming to investigate the crash. These are, these are hobgoblins loyalists to Leshk Haruk Sharator Uh, so how many would they have like, in a, in a party, right? How many would explore? Is it, I mean, like 50 is like a small army, so it's not 50 and it's probably not five because that's like a small, tiny scouting party. It's probably bigger than that. So I would say like a dozen to 14, right? If this is a group that has taken a few days to go out there, they don't know what's out there. So they probably want to send enough to be able to handle it. So it's really a question of like how many make sense, right? From, regardless of the character, nothing to do with what the characters are, right? One of the, we have a very interesting dichotomy, very interesting two sides of our brain that we have to consider. Uh, one is while we're planning on our game, we should have the characters firmly in mind because the story is about them. They're the story that takes place at the game, right? Their story is the one we're telling. Uh, I made a tweet yesterday. I I make a tweet every day, right? I do a D and D tip every day and I actually have them pushed out about a month and a half. So the D and D tip that got posted yesterday, I wrote a month and a half ago and I write a bunch of them. I come up with seven a week and I, I, I sit there on my phone and I put them into a system that pushes them out for later. And I never know which one's going to be good. And, and, but man, some of them get a lot of traction and the one that got a lot of traction yesterday, which is relevant to this, to this conversation, um, was let's go to my tweets. So I can go to my notifications because everybody and their and their brother replied, uh, the DM doesn't tell the story. The DM facilitates the story that happens at the table. Right. And people dug it. I got a 212 retweets, one point two thousand, you know, 1,200 likes. Uh, it moved all over the place. It got how many replies, you know, a, a butt ton of replies. I got people that were like, most people are like, yeah, I got a lot of like, yeah, this. Right. And then I got some people are like, well, actually, which is fine. Like we all got opinions. Right. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody. Um, so, uh, that one resonated, and and I believe that one, right? And and the the point is that like the story is what happens at the table. We're facilitating that story. When we're facilitating that story, we have to keep our head in two places. One. Focus on the characters. The story is about the characters, right? So we think about the characters first before we do anything else. But then a lot of the world building, and I use that term loosely because I'm not big into building worlds. But a lot of the situation building is about what would the situation be like if the characters weren't there. They actually don't affect the situation. It you know when when the commander of you know the Lesh Haruk Sharat Corps Western Commander saw the explosion over over the shield mountains and said, oh my God, we got to figure out what the hell that is, right? He doesn't think about, I bet there's five seventh level characters out there. I should send the level appropriate number of hobgoblins. No, he says I should send out a group that can move quickly and could go figure out what's going on. I probably need more than a few scouts because it's pretty far away and I don't know how dangerous it is. So I need to think about how many hobgoblins I should probably send out there. And he's probably like, I'll probably send a commander- and probably a dozen soldiers and maybe six scouts right and that you know that sounds right this is a really long-winded way of getting around to it right but the, the 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 answer is like you know when we go down to our monsters we have you know we have a hobgoblin commander um 12 hobgoblins six scouts and uh they all need so did the scouts the scouts probably ride wolves. They probably don't get full wargs, right? Oh, they might all have wargs. So that's 18, 19 wargs. Uh you know, so that's pretty good. Um for funsies, uh, let's look at let's do hobgoblin because there's a bunch of uh there's a bunch of hobgoblins. Um there's a bunch of other hobgoblins, right? So iron, you know, iron shadow, I don't think we're going to, you know, probably didn't send any iron shadow. Those are probably like assassins and protectors. I think they are assassins and protectors. Uh devastators I think are mages, right? Yeah. Um so I think he probably sent a devastator along with the group. Um And that would make up even twenty, right? Um, the Devastator is like a hobgoblin mage, uh, which is cool because they could like look at they could look at, at at Shane Husk and be like, you know. In fact, Shane Husk is using the same icon as the Devastator is using, so that would be that would be pretty cool. Uh, so and and that's because they they are very likely arcane, so that's probably their sage. Uh, and I think it's a hobgoblin captain. Yeah, the hobgoblin captain's probably who's leading the party, right? Um, so now we've got our hobgoblin party, right? It's 20 of them come, come pouring. right. Like, that's a war party, right? Like, Evil John's like, yeah, you got a captain, a devastator, 12 hobgoblins, 6 scouts. The scouts go on ahead. They're kind of fanning out. They're probably running on, you know, and they got, like, daggers. I'll probably use the scout stat block instead of the goblin stat block for these guys because the scouts, you know, the scouts will work and um yeah and they kind of come over the hill i think that's going to be a fantastic fun strong start right that'd be a good time and the answer is it's probably not a fight like this isn't a battle I'm, i don't know what my group will do but i have a feeling is going to be like you know they're holding the battle standard you know like the party might kind of freak out a little bit the the tarkan assassin's going to freak out a little bit like who are these but he's like I, you know i think these are lash the lashks guys we probably want to talk to them. So it's very likely to be like a, this is like a, a crucial conversation. This is like a, you know, this is gonna be a stressful conversation, probably not a fight. Um, and if it is a fight, the car, the characters will win, right? Even though there's, there's 40 people in this fight, they'll still win 40 if you include the wargs and stuff. Um, and it could end up that way. And then it'd be like, man, you know, it could be really bad. Uh, designing an encounter this way means your players should never assume that they can always attack everything. That is correct. It's not always level appropriate. That's right. Now, uh, another experience, another thought I've had is that the idea of the sort of the, the, the power series of challenge rating and the, the logarithmic power series of challenge rating to the, to the number of the threat that you face. That's a really nerdy thing to say. The idea is the higher the challenge rating, the fewer of them you're going to find in the world, uh, which means, you know, you're not going to see a whole army of CR 12 monsters out there. There's not there's not like a, an army of bone claws. Right. There's like two bone claws. Um, there are armies of skeletons because they're tiny. Right. So you take the challenge rating. The logarithmic number of the challenge rating is about you know the number of people that would would be that nerdy, but precise. Yeah. Uh, Bye, RSR70. Thanks for coming. Um, So uh, that means there's a lot of hobgoblins, but there's not as many devastators. There's not as many captains, right? There's a lot of goblin scouts, but you don't need that many. Um, But what that also means is that if you think about it, the number, when your characters are getting higher level, unless they go to areas that are filled with really dangerous things. So like there are areas in the multiverse where that doesn't hold up. And the example would be in Hell. If you go to Hell, uh, you're going to face a lot of high challenge rating monsters. Um, But if you're not in Hell and you're just going around the normal world, you're not going to run into a lot of people that are high challenge rating, which means the characters are not going to always... They're they're more likely to run into groups that are lower challenge rating than they are. Um, You know, the higher level they get. So as the characters get higher level, it's more appropriate it fits the world usually a little bit more for them to face battles that are weaker, right? It's not uncommon for them to face a couple scouts and they can kill a couple of scouts easily and maybe they do and maybe they don't, right? So um, when we think about like how many monsters are there, it's it's the the instinct is to constantly pull out your kobold fight club or your encounter builder in Dean and Beyond and make things challenge appropriate. And I've seen some just ham-fisted encounters and adventures where you're like, why? Would, why did this occur? My favorite example is a um, uh, we were playing in a tier two adventurers league adventure. We were, and I think, it was like an epic, and we were the, the the city was in a battle, and we were running down a street, and we saw a bunch of people breaking into a dress shop to steal dresses while the guards were all busy with other things, and we were like seventh and eighth level. And then we, we had a conversation and they said, well, you're not the cops. And we're like, yeah, but we're not going to let you rob that dress shop. I guess we cared. And uh, so we got into a fight and it was like four swashbucklers and three bandit captains. And I'm like, I stopped. And I'm like, why are a bunch of swashbucklers and bandit captains robbing a dress shop? And the DM looked at me and said, well, it's, it's what's appropriate for the challenge level. And I'm like, that is so lame. Like that should have been you know, six bandits and the fact that bandits are CR one quarter and the fact that we're challenge rating, you know, are we're all level eight and that with one spell we'll take them all out. Doesn't matter because dress shops would get, you know, dress shops would get robbed by bandits, not by three swashbucklers and two band. What are two bandit captains doing hanging out with each other? How many bandit captains do you need for three swashbucklers? Like talk about upper too much middle management. So, um, this doesn't make sense. Now, another example uh so I, I don't remember the name of the adventure and if i knew it i wouldn't say it and if i knew who wrote it i wouldn't say it either and adventures league had this problem because they had like a number of appropriate adventures, a number of appropriate encounters at certain challenge ratings that you had to meet in order to get leveling and that sucked um so yeah the schwasbrockler should be stealing the crown jewels exactly right like appropriate challenge for the appropriate thing now a perfect example of the other one is james and uh invasion of the planet of the Tarasques, which by the way uh I don't know if you can still get it for free, but you could have gotten it for free for signing up for James Intercasso's newsletter, which I would recommend. He's an awesome dude and he makes awesome stuff. And he was giving away three adventures for free. One of which was my favorite high-level adventure I've ever run, I've ever played. I never ran it, called Planet, Invasion of the Planet of the Tarrasks. That was free this weekend, Evil John says, yeah. And Invasion of the Planet of the Tarrasks, talk about like not caring about challenge ratings. Um in one part, you literally face a hundred tarasks, probably not all at once. You face like two or three at a time, <laughs> but there 's a planet of It goes what there 's a lot of tarasks on the planet um I think you faced a, more than one Tarask that gets through the gate and starts fighting against Waterdeep. and At one point during the fight against the Tarask, a bunch of a bunch of bandits break into a shop nearby, and they 're just bandits right and like you know, and my favorite moment ever, which I stole from the TV show, Deadwood. My favorite moment was I just killed a tarasque. I, I power attacked it and did all this stuff. And I got the killing blow against the tarasque, And James was kind enough to let me behead the tarasque because it was already a killing blow. And I climb, I'm, I'm naked because I realized that wearing armor against the tarasque was a completely ridiculous notion because it, it hits on a two. So I took off all my armor. So I'm standing there in my small clothes standing on the head of Tarrasque with this huge bleeding sword. I'm covered in Tarasque gore, and these dudes are breaking into this shop. And I'm like, you there, stop breaking into that shop. I'm watching you. And they're like, and I made like an intimidation check with advantage because I was standing on a Tarasque head. And uh, that's when advantage should stack. And, uh, and I made the, the check and they're like, okay. And they ran away. I'm like, that's such a brilliant like little food of flavor. So yes, long winded way of saying, uh, Build your encounters around what makes sense for the story first. And then you should use a benchmark to say, is it deadly or not? Now, when I'm running 40 guys, I'm pretty sure I don't need to use the encounter builder to tell me that's probably on the side of deadly just by action economy alone, especially you throw a devastator and a hobgoblin captain in there. So, um, uh, I don't, I'm not even going to bother checking, but that's what makes sense. And it makes sense to me. It's also likely to be a conversation, so I don't need to worry about it. <sighs> I need to take a breath. Um... So that's going to be our strong start. Then I think our next scene is going to be uh, long road or uh, delve into Kyber. And that's a big decision point, right? Like which direction are they going to go? Where are they going? Uh, and how are they going to get there? And I tell you, I sure wish I had figured that out last game because the idea that we have to figure that out now leaves me at a pretty big disadvantage uh, when I think about what we're going to do. Um, but I have a thought for Overland stuff. Um, uh, so uh, Ignashaya says, uh, if it's deadly, shouldn't you decide how to allow the party to lose without dying? Hook it into another scene or situation. Yes. Um, if you think it's going to be deadly, uh, so I, I'll be honest, like uh, the encounter balance math tells me that uh, a hobgoblin captain, a devastator, 12 hobgoblins, six goblin scouts, and 20 wargs is probably considered deadly. My characters will eat that up because like two fireballs is going to get rid of most of that, right? Like it's, it's not going to be, that's not really deadly. It's, it's mathematically according to CR guidelines deadly. Um, I don't know what it is. If I do the, so the, the five characters, if I do the Mike Shea, Sly Flourish approved rule of thumb, which is half the level of the characters, uh, half the sum total of the character levels. So, uh, I have seven times five is what the math is hard. 35. It sounds like 35. Uh, half of 35, half of 34 is, eh, what is that math? Math is hard. 18? Uh, 18 challenge rating. Uh, the wargs are 10 because they're CR one half, I think. Uh, I think the hobgoblins, yeah. So it's going to be over, right? It's going to blow past that too. So either, either well, however you do the math, it's going to blow past the, 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 the side. But it makes sense. So yeah, what if they lose? Well, if they lose, right, you, you ideally want to have something where you fail forward. You want to have a general idea, especially if you think a batter is going to be deadly um, on how to, uh, fail forward. Like, do they get captured? Do they escape? Do they wait? You know, does one of them have one hit point left? I've done that before. It's always nice to kind of the back of your mind, what happens if they lose? How can they still move forward? Um, so I think that that could, I think that that could work. Um, put in yeah, put into characters in even a worse situation than, than having been dead. usually be captured in this case they'd be taken to you know they'd probably be taken inland as prisoners and then questioned about what why they caused this great big explosion then they have to negotiate their way out of that so failing forward is a thing yeah sorry i didn't make a failing forward failing forward is a rpg concept uh that has been around for a while which is the idea that when people fail it's actually one of the reasons why um the powered by the apocalypse rpg puts such an emphasis on uh success with a cost is that that's essentially a fail forward mechanic that you're more likely success with the cost is a more interesting story element than success. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of neat. I'm not getting any further to figuring out this today's thing. So they have two possible paths. Uh, if they take the long road, I am thinking about uh, let's go back to the map. Um, and boy, I, I, I think I kind of want them to do this, but we'll see. Uh, that, uh, they make their way through the Margo Pass, uh, probably at the Gaul River. Uh, I want to have a small, uh, goblin town. Um, let's go to the links. Let's go find a name for this town. Names, names, names. Um, uh, Firespur. That sounds good. Um, uh, Firespur. Uh, and where was that? I had a, uh, I had the map. Firespur at the Gaul River, right? And I think I'm going to do, if they go to Firespur, uh, I'm probably going to throw in uh, a Seven Samurai uh, adventure here. In this case, uh, goblins are being, are soon to be attacked by an army of Margul bugbears and ask the characters to help. Uh, The interesting thing about Firespur is that it has these burning trees. Um. Uh, that their roots touch down into lava lakes below. Uh, so when we think about a seven, sa- so what's a seven samurai adventure? Uh, a seven samurai. If you if we go to our good old Sly Flourish website, uh, I. I kind of believe that the Sly that Sly, that the Seven Samurai uh, adventure is a, a nearly perfect D and D adventure. Um, the idea behind so Seven Samurai is a movie made by uh, director Akira Kurosawa a long time ago. Uh, the Magnificent Seven is based on it, but also there's lots and lots and lots of times. There was actually um, one of the episodes of Mandalorian was based on it very clearly, and uh, it's a very simple story. Look at that picture it's just awesome. Um, it's a very simple story, the kind of story we don't have in movies anymore because producers like to make things complicated. Uh, but the simple story is that a, um, a village that's pretty poor, uh, is getting attacked by bandits soon. They, they, they know that there's, um, they know that they're going to soon get attacked by bandits. Um, and they want to hire a bunch of mercenaries, a bunch of Ronin to, or I, I guess they're Ronin. They seem to be Ronin. Uh, they want to hire a bunch of Ronin to come and protect them from the um, – uh, they want to protect them from the, the, the bandits. So very, very simple thing, right? You know, Village hires mercenaries to protect them from marauders. Um, uh, Evil John- – yeah, and Three Amigos is also a – yeah. All my Seven Samurai games turn into the Three Amigos, yeah. Uh, and there are few – so it's a great model. And for the model, we have a set of questions uh, these six questions that make it unique and interesting among seven samurai adventures, which means you can use this model again and again. So the villagers in this case are goblin farmers, right? They're peaceful goblin farmers. Um, are they do they make maybe they make coal? So maybe they're they're. Um, goblin coal miners. Because of the burning trees and the lava lake underneath. Um, Colon Obsidian. Um, who are the bandits? The bandits are Margul bugbears. We know what that is. What makes the village fantastic? It has these burning trees that along the river routes that touch lava lakes below. Um, what makes the bandit hideout fantastic? So that's a good one. What what what's interesting about this bandit hideout? Uh, we where are the bandits hanging out? And I think for this, we're going to, uh, use a, um, uh, so I'm going to give a sneak peek, um, at a, uh, uh, a Patreon. So I'm, I'm trying to offer more stuff to my, my, my patron, uh, uh, my Patreon patrons. And one of the things that I put together, uh, is a thing called adventure generators Uh, these are nicely formatted adventure generators that you can use to build your own adventures. And shocker, one of them is called seven swords and it's about this very thing. Um, but in, in, for the location, I'm going to use a different one called adventures for hire and we're going to get out my dice and pop it open and get my D 20, I guess it is. So the location is going to be seventeen, a menagerie. Ah oh, that's a little weird. Um That's kinda I, I'm I'm getting an idea from that. Um maybe the bugbears maintain a menagerie, right? They've got their like their, their they love their uh they have um. Um. They have all these strange monsters. You know, it's like a menagerie slash hunting, hunting, you know, hunting lodge. Uh, and maybe there's a particular creature, and and this can actually get into one of the other questions. So if we go back to our Seven Samurai, um, list, uh, one of the questions is. Uh, what dark secret did the villagers hide? So what creature does the, do the bugbears have, um, oh, a dragon egg. They have a red dragon egg. And, um, it just hatched into a wormling. And it's the dragon in down in the caves below uh, Firespur uh, that keeps the coal made, right? Like it's, it's the, you know, you have trees and everything that are growing. I don't know if this makes sense, but they have trees and stuff that are growing. The, the, the trees grow into the thing. The dragon keeps everything hot down there. Like their lair effect is they keep it uh, in effect. But bugbears want to come and they know that the dragon egg needs to hatch. Before the bugbears will come and take it, but they don't want to take it because the goblins will all be destitute if they do that. Um, and that answers the other question. Why haven't the bandits attacked already? They haven't attacked because they're waiting for, uh, they're waiting for the egg to hatch. Right. So, uh, yeah. So we answered our six questions. Right. And, and if you think about it, like I'm, I'm pretty ready to go. Right. I probably need a couple of maps. Um, um, so we have a long road. Uh, we have travel. Now, I guess I have a, a dirty trick, which is whether they go through Khyber or they go overland, I can just move Firespur, right? I can just make it an underground village. It doesn't need to be above ground. It can be a place, and it makes still makes sense that the goblins are there. So um uh you know so that that's definitely a possibility. Um what was I Oh maps. I need maps. Uh for maps we go to our good pal Dyson. Uh dysonlogos.com dysonlogos.blog an awesome probably like god maybe the best most useful D&D website because it's got how many maps here? 856 maps. Uh, so I need two things. I need two maps. I need the Bugbear's Menagerie. And I need the Goblin's uh, Town. So we're going to do some scrolling through here. Um, and we're going to look for uh, the Menagerie. That's pretty good. I think I used that before. They would, They'd recognize it. I shouldn't keep using the same maps. We're gonna jump down a little ways because I keep using the same maps. That's good, look, see right there. This is a cool map, the Falcon's Rest. Open that thing and open that map. Uh, there we've got a, uh, so we're gonna save that image to the desktop. Um, and uh, we'll go to our locations. And we will have to scroll over to get to the new button. The Bugbear Menagerie. Uh, Upload an image. Choose. Go to my desktop. It uploads it. And we've got our menagerie. So now, go back to our notes. And we go to our locations. Menagerie, oh, why is it freezing? sometimes it's a little sometimes it needs a rest Pug bear menagerie cool um uh, but I also need uh the well oh, there's one drowning point right above it isn't that great? Um, that looks fine. You know, we don't need much. Is it great? It's not great. It's kind of a boring village. Um, but it'll do. Uh, and maybe the idea is like there's a lava river that flows through here and then hits the water and that turns into obsidian and that's how they mine their obsidian. So we can make it kind of cool and the trees are fiery. Uh, so that could be cool. That's pretty fantastic. Um, uh, and the name of that place is Firespur. So we'll go back here and we go to locations. Scroll over again. Get to the new button. Uh, well, just in case I forget the name, but I happen to remember Goblin Village. Upload an image. And I've got a map. I got two maps ready to go. Uh, We go down here and we say fire spur. Didn't work again. It's freezing. Some reason I'm I'm going too quick. Gets tired. Notion gets tired. So I've got my locations. Uh, Very cool. Um, Let uh, so I man I'm burning I'm I'm burning hot. Right. So I think the cool bit is I love this idea, right? I think this is a really cool scene. I think it'd be a good couple of sessions uh, to deal with. I love throwing seven samurai stuff in the middle of an adventure. I love that. It's like a side quest, right? It's like, it's not necessarily uh, a part of the main storyline, which is a bigger problem that I really need to figure out. Um, um, it's a, it's a bigger problem that I need to figure out. Uh which is where the hell the story is going from here. But this gives me a couple sessions, which I think the players will love, right? I think it's fun. I think, I think it's kind of a fun break from the whole thing with Leto Skull and everything going on there. Um, it's a good way to go. Uh, so I'm going to do that. So what secrets do we have? Uh, I think this is a particular group of bug bears, right? Uh, the Margul. Um Uh, called the what? Um I guess I, I need another name for collector Rainbow Teeth. Rainbow teeth? No. See I have different uh what's a good name for this band? The red hand. Oh there's a red hand already, right? Um We'll go, you know, Black Claw. Go, where, you know, it's original. Uh, has a of monsters that they covet. Uh, the goblins of Firespur. Oh, their riches! Well, oh, their livelihood. The dragon lair. Beneath the town, um, the goblins mine coal, but their real uh, profit comes comes from obsidian weapons. The goblins uh, have a goblin egg, have a dragon egg, about to hatch. In three days. Um, what other uh, a Kyber gateway exists beneath, um, fire spur that leads into northern Zalargo? Um, Khyber Gateway exists that uh, beneath Fisha leads to northern Zalargo. That that kind of give them a sort of a, a, a jump in distance uh, What other um, the uh, the Haruk loyal hobgoblins do not approve of the mark the black claw. The Black Claw Menagerie. Um the menagerie houses lots of strange monsters. Um one last secret for Fire Spur and everything going on there. Um The goblins have treated with the gnomes of Zalargo outside of the taxes of Haruk. Some politics. Uh, so all those secrets are around Firespur. I think Firespur is going to be the thing. Like it's it's what I've got, and wherever whatever direction they head, they're running into Firespur. Um. So I think that that will work. So I've got my, uh, travel along the long road. Uh, we can do a montage. There's a lot of different ways to do montages for travel. Um, you know, like name something, you know, if somebody wants to name something that happened or that, uh, their character did along the journey, uh, and, uh, you know, an obstacle that they ran into and how they came, how they overcame it. Um, that's pretty good. Uh we also have long claw or long spear. Long spear is there. Uh monsters, we have bugbears. Maybe uh hill giants. You know, maybe bugbears and hill giants uh could be together. Um what else? Uh Oh, all the monsters—chimera, uh, wyvern. Um, what other what other creatures might they have in their menagerie? I don't know. I can I can I can figure those out. Uh, so I think yeah, that's fine. Uh, and treasure, treasure, uh, obsidian—some obsidian weapons. Uh, obsidian weapons, armor, and gear, which are particularly strong, right? Super strong, uh, weapons, armor, and gear might be pretty cool. Um, so with two minutes remaining, uh, I think I've got enough of an adventure. Let me take a look at what's going on in the chat. Uh, if it's an arm uh, player versus an army of low-level monsters a fairly easy way. The mob calc. Yeah. Uh I actually, yeah, Gondolar. Um about handling uh how hard is it to run combat with entire armies like seven 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 samurai, or do you just role play it? I actually put up a new article. So there's a couple ways to handle it, but I, I have a new way that I like. Um, which is running hordes. Uh running hordes, a lazy way to run lots of DD lots of D monsters. And so you can use the mob calculator if you want, but I, I tend to go with the one quarter succeed or, or, you know, one use a rough estimate of one quarter succeed, uh, as a, as a general rule of thumb. So pull their hip, pull the damage that they take and remove monsters as they take enough damage to remove a monster. Um, that's number one. The number two is anytime the big, the bad guys, um, would make a saving throw or make an attack, uh, and assuming they don't have advantage or disadvantage, uh, one quarter of them succeed. Uh, If it's more than that, if they have advantage, it's half, right? And then you can tune that number up and down. So you can round up if you uh, think that they have a, you know, they're they're likely to hit somebody or round down if you think they're not. Uh, So like, uh, and if somebody uses something like shield, if they say, I want a shield, then you say, okay, instead of one quarter, it's, it's, you know, whatever, one and 10, right? Uh, So tweak the amount, you know, you can just in your head, just roll on a scale up and down of how many are likely to succeed. And you're going to be pretty close to the math anyway. Uh, So that, that works out. So I I like, that's what I would run with hordes is the two things. Uh, One pool, the damage the horde takes Uh, and two. So I've got a tricky bit here, which is uh, the wargs and the goblins are two different. There's a lot of wargs and a lot of goblins, right? And how do you manage both of those? And what you don't want to do is mix up monster types. So I would probably, just use the same stat block and reskin them, and then have you know have the damn like give the equal amount of hit points to both wargs and hobgoblins, treat them like one generic monster, and then pull that many out. I think that will work better. Um, what else we got? Wow, a lot of people today. Seventy-one people in the chat. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to answer some questions, and we're we'll call it a day uh players versus army low level monsters and mob calculator but i like the uh now i like my horde rolls better um if they've got them in average very cool mounts yeah i could have some cool mounts. what are the adventure generator where is the generator from this this is looks great in a bind yes uh, i actually use the adventure generator it is a patron it is a benefit of joining my patreon uh feed i actually just put it up this morning at like five in the morning um if you go to patreon.com slash sly flourish this is the, uh, I should just view the public page. Um, you can support Sly Flares for two bucks a month. Uh, the URL is in there. And the first post for those of you who are patrons, uh, we have a, um, uh, there is a pinned post where the heck is the pin post? You'd think it would be pinned at the top. Oh, I, I think it's not pinned because in this case I'm viewing it from uh commercial uh, from the other side, but if you go to the pinned post, uh, I'll, I'll show you the post here. So we, this is a published post and I'll link it so that you can get to it. Um, there is now a, uh, landing page. Uh, I don't, I'm, you know, you will only be able to read that page if you are a patron. Uh, but if you are a patron, uh, this gives you links to uh, Regnum Ratis, the Rats in the Cellar, which is a uh, uh, which is a adventure for levels one to five. Uh, it's all about traveling in weird catacombs beneath a uh, a tavern and fighting giant rats. Um, nice, cool adventure. It's an exclusive adventure. It's even got a random table list at the end uh, for generating your own encounters and locations underneath. Cavern locations, cavern encounters, because I love lists like that. Uh, That's a thing. Uh, You get uh, the Sly Flourish Adventure Generator, right, which I talked about. Adventures for Hire, Seven Swords, and Arena of Fate are three of the adventure generators. And you get access to uh, an exclusive channel on my Discord server. Uh, you also get all, not only the Notion D- template that um, I, I share here, you get access to all of the notebooks I've got. My S- on Second morning notebook and my Mournland one-on-one notebook that I do with, with my wife and my Descent and Average notebook. So you get all access to all of those as well. So that's all of the rewards that you get for following, for helping to support the Empire. Uh, and your support of the Empire is really to, uh, because you like what I do. Um, these are gifts that you get, uh, uh, for supporting it. So you shouldn't think of them as you're buying these things. You should think of it as like, you want to help the site out. Um, but those are some exclusive things and the adventure generators. Yeah. Like I use, I use, I have used that now for a while. So, I think that is it. Uh we have uh I think we've got enough of an adventure going today. It's going to be a little bit improv. But I think when I if I can get them to fire spur, I think everything will be fine. Um so that will be good. Uh, I guess the only last thing, and um, on YouTube, I don't know how useful this will be, depending on if it's still going. Uh, in an hour, uh, my friends over at Dwarven Forge are going to be launching their new Kickstarter for their latest Dwarven Forge sets. If you want to get it. It's, for me, it's like a model train hobby, right? It's a side hobby for me for D&D, but I love it. Um, um, so... Uh, if you if you are into 3D tabletop terrain, this is the best 3D tabletop terrain you can get. It's really really great stuff. Um, it's costly. I won't I won't kid you. It ain't cheap. Uh, but like a model train set, it's kind of a fun thing to experiment with. Some people do it. Uh, it doesn't necessarily make your games like significantly better because you know games are all about the stories that you tell with your friends. But it's a fun table accessory to have, and I dig it. Uh, And I'm 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 a fan. I buy I buy it every year. I go in and and buy a fair bit for their Kickstarter. So if you're into that sort of thing, um, their Kickstarter is launching in an hour. Uh, I'm actually going to be hanging out in their Twitch channel uh, and the pre show in a half hour where we talk about it. And uh, I'm gonna, I actually pushed my game back to 1230 so that I could actually see the Kickstarter launch and, and back it as fast as possible. Uh, and then I'll run my game after that. So that's kind of neat thing. It is funny, like it's a little hard to think about Dwarven Forge in a pandemic because like our friends aren't coming over, but I did run a Dwarven Forge setup uh, online for my um, Wednesday D&D game uh, by setting up a phone with a tripod and a second Discord account and then video you know, put a video feed up so that the players could see as as though it was another player, the players could focus on that one and see where all the characters were and move them around and stuff like that. And that worked pretty well. So it was, you know, for, for, for my friends who normally came over to my house and saw my Dwarven Forge stuff, it was fun for them to see the Dwarven Forge stuff. Otherwise, um, it was a fun thing to do. I don't think I'm going to do it all the time, uh, but it was a fun thing. It was a fun thing to do. So I will say, so, you know, again, it is not um, it doesn't like, it doesn't double the joy of your game, right? It looks great. And it, and everybody looks at it, it's like, oh man, I wish I could play with it that way. And it's fun stuff to play with. A good game comes from working with your players to share a good story, right? That's where good games come from. It does not come from accessories, but accessories are fun, right? And, and like a model train set, it's a fun thing to have. So noon Eastern. Yes. Yeah. Noon, noon. Yeah. twelve twelve 12 PM Eastern standard time. One hour from now. So. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming today. I appreciate everybody for showing up. Uh, and if you uh, enjoyed this video, please check out the other Sly Flourish, La- F- Sly Flourish Lazy DM Prep videos. There's a whole bunch of them now, like 100 of them. And uh, we, or come and, and, and hang out during one of the Sunday morning streams. Uh, thank you all very much. Have a great day and uh, get out there and play some D&D.